Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. continue to walk through our series here in 1 Thessalonians, we are coming to the end of this letter of this book of the Bible. We have today's message, and then we have next week, and we will wrap up our walk through this. We're calling this series The Exemplary Church, and the title of today's message is Ready or Not. Now, one of the best games that was ever invented is a simple game called Hide and Seek. Have you guys ever played Hide and Seek? Everybody in the room has played Hide and Seek, right? It's a great game. It's a lot of of fun. Simple game, simple game, but lots of fun. Everybody who's playing hide and seek, they, they go to find the best hiding place except for one person. And that person is the seeker, right? He and she will cover their eyes. Usually when I played it, we had a base that, you, that everybody had to get back to, but you would go there and you would cover your eyes and you would count, usually like a big tree is what we would use, and you would count to whatever the number the group has agreed upon. 30 or 50 or 60 or 100, depending on whether or not your group has that kid who's the cheater fast counter, right? <laughs> Any, nobody will admit to this, but you, some of you kids are out there, you're like, yeah, I'm the fast counter. One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, 100, right? You just skip right to 100. So you got to agree upon that number there. You got to get people to hide because that's what's happening when the person is counting. Everybody else is hiding. And when that person is done counting, they uncover their eyes and they yell this really important phrase, ready or not, what? Here I come. Ready or not, here I come. And whether the people have hidden or not, and you know from experience, <laughs> a lot of times some of them haven't found that hiding place. That you're like, oh, there's Jimmy, there's Susie, let's go get them, right? You know, they didn't even hide. But whether they're standing out in the open or not, ready or not, the seeker is coming to find them. And do you ever wonder if the Lord right now is up in heaven counting? Right? I mean, at this point, he might be at a hundred million gazillion. I, mean, I don't know what number he's at right now, but he's counting for that time to say, ready or not, here I come. Or, or maybe there's this big hourglass with a couple thousand years at this point, or maybe a few thousand years as far as it is with sand falling down through it. Or maybe there's a countdown clock right to the right of the throne there. Or maybe there's like this clicker that shows how many people have been saved. I mean, I don't know how the Lord determines when it is time but beloved, hear me today, one day the time is going to come when it's time. You know what I'm talking about? When it's time, just as we saw last week in Ephesians 4.16, where it tells us that with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, Jesus Christ is going to declare, ready or not, here I come. Now some are going to be ready. As we saw last week, right? That was the best day in history, right? When those who were ready received and saw Jesus Christ coming, they're going to be transformed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye into their glorified bodies with the resurrected saints. And then they're going to be raptured up to meet Jesus in the air. And then they're going to triumphantly return back down to earth. But others, others are not going to be ready. And as we're going to see here, in just a moment in our text, they're going to face the worst day in history. It's what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. 
And the day of the Lord is going to overtake them, the Bible says, like a thief in the night. Ready or not, here he comes. So I want to invite you this morning to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read 11 verses here, the first 11 verses here in 1 Thessalonians, that we might know what God says. And here's what God says. It says, Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Thus ends the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's ask God to help us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask as we've read your word today, God, we want to hear your word. We want to understand your word. We want to love your word. And then we want to live your word. So help us to do that today. God, I want to pray specifically right now, though, for the person here. Maybe it's many who has never turned and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that through the preaching of the word today and through the the gathered witness and testimony of this body of believers here and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would save someone today just like you saved me in 1997. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So grab your seat right there. So today's truth is just really simple, really straightforward. It's simply this, is that the day of the Lord is coming soon. The day of the Lord is coming soon. Do you see that phrase right there in verse 2? The day of the Lord. Now guys, that's a phrase that's used over and over again. It's sort of a technical term that the Bible uses throughout Scripture to speak of the great and terrible day at the end of the age when God will ultimately come to punish the wicked, all right? Now, here in 1 Thessalonians, it's clearly connected to the second coming of Jesus. So when Jesus comes, he is ushering in the day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming, all right? And, And my mind immediately, when I read this text, goes to Revelation chapter 19 where we get an image and a glimpse here, a visual of what Jesus is going to look like in his return on the day of the Lord. Verse 11 there in Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him in white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus Christ, right? And he's coming, he's bringing the judgment of God with him. As theologian A.W. Pink, he captured it so well when he said this. He said, the first time Christ came to slay sin in men, the second time he will come to slay men in sin. You see, the prophets are talking about this great day. Long ago, even before we get here to the book of Revelation and we see this future thing that they're talking about here, the prophets, they've been talking about it for a long time, that it's going to be a terrible day, that it's going to be a a great day, it's going to be a day of judgment. And we can look at like 20 passages where it explicitly talks about the day of the Lord. But I just want to give you just a a tidbit, just a, a small sampling of what that day is going to be like, what the prophets said we should expect. So for instance... Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 9, says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They'll be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They'll look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. That's Isaiah. How about Ezekiel? Ezekiel says it this way. For the day of the Lord is, what's that word there, church? Everybody say near. It's near. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord, it will be a day of clouds, a time of gloom for the nation. How about the book of Joel? Joel 1.15 says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near again. There it is again. As destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And what about Amos? Amos here says, Woe to the one. This is Amos 5.18-20. through 20, says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now he's talking here to people who think they are saved. They are cultural Christians. They name the name of Christ, but there is no relationship with Christ. They don't know Jesus, and Jesus doesn't know them, but they have a veneer of religiosity, and they talk about the day of the Lord. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion. Listen to how vivid this is. As if a man fled from a lion... And a bear met him and went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Finally, how about Obadiah 15? Obadiah says again, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your head. Church, I could point you to several more here. But again, suffice it to say, you get a picture of what this is going to be. For those, as we said last week, who are Jesus's, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, is going to be the greatest day in history. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. 
But for those who are not Jesus's, it's going to be the worst day in history. The book of Revelation again describes it this way. Revelation 6, 12 through 17 says, when he, that's, that's Jesus, opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And and look at what they cry out here, y'all. Calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who's seated and on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? They had rather a mountain fall on them than to have Jesus Christ descend on them. Beloved, the day of the Lord, it's going to be a terrible day for those who are the enemies of God. And that day, guys, is coming soon. So what should be our response? Well, 1 Thessalonians here helps us out with that. It points us, the Apostle Paul here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points us to two responses that I want to encourage every single one of you this morning in, all right? And it's kind of like a checkbox, all right? If you check off number one, then you move on to number two. But you can't go to number two unless you first checked off number one. And here's what number one is. In light of the soon coming day of the Lord, you should turn from your sins. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ before it's ever lastingly too late. Listen, God has extended his grace to you. I want every person in this room right now to ask yourselves this question. I don't care if you're 8 or 80, anywhere between or any other age, okay? Ask yourself this question. Not out loud. This is in your head. This is in your heart. Answer this question. Have I turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as my Savior and Lord? Now, it's either yes or no. There's no maybe. There's there's no fence sitter when it comes to this question here. You're either in Christ or you're not. You've either turned from sin and trusted in Jesus or you have not. And if you have not, listen to me. This is so cool, guys. God has given you another chance. Praise God. He's given you another chance to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus. He's given you another chance that by grace through faith in Jesus, you can move from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. But here's the deal. you got to understand this. Being real with you this morning. Those graces, this extension of his mercy will not linger forever because one of two things is going to happen. Either you are going to die and go to meet Jesus face to face in heaven or you're going to be alive and Jesus is going to come down to earth and meet you face to face. Either way, you're going to see Jesus face to face either in heaven or on the earth. And here's the deal then it'll be everlastingly too late. Like there's no after death 
opportunity for you to say, I, I, I want to change my mind. I, I, I didn't want Jesus when I was alive, but now that I'm dead, I want Jesus. And, and there's, no, there's not going to be an opportunity either for a, for a after Jesus returns change of mind either. Because when Jesus comes, it's done. It's done. There's no, I, I want to trust Jesus now. No, the day is here. It is everlastingly too late. The day of the Lord will have Come, and our text here in 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us what that day is going to be like. Because right now, the grace is extended to you. But in this day, when it comes, it's, it's, it, grace is done, okay? So you got to understand what this day is going to be like. The Bible here tells us that for those without Christ on that day, it will be three things according to the Bible here. It's going to be devastating, it's going to be unexpected, and it's going to be inescapable is what it's going to be. First, the day will be devastating. Apostle Paul says in verse 3 here, he says destruction will come upon them. Destruction will come upon them. That's the word translated um, as destruction. It, it's the Greek word aleithros. Aleithros. Now, some might argue that this points us to the idea of what's called annihilation. Annihilation, meaning that the Lord, when he judges you, will cause you to cease to exist and perhaps on that day, people will wish that. You know what I'm saying? They will wish that they could cease to exist. But as Dr. John MacArthur rightly tells us, he says this. He says, Alethros, destruction, does not refer to annihilation, but separation from God. It doesn't mean the destruction of being, but of well-being. Not the end of existence, but the destruction of the purpose for existence. And so, beloved, God is going to accomplish the destruction of unbelievers, according to the Bible, by defeating them and then casting them into eternal torment in hell. It says it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. It says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will never cease to exist, yet they will be separate in some way from the presence of God and from the glory of God. Guys, this is not annihilation. This is eternal, conscious torment. It'll be the day that begins their never-ending days of living in ruin and daily experiencing destruction. It will be devastating. Here's the second thing that's going to be. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be unexpected. Look at verse 2. Paul says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That, that's a first century way of saying you ain't going expected, right? It's going to come out of nowhere. He's going to hit you when you're not ready. That's what that means, just like the thief does. The thief, he, 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 he gets the upper hand by surprising you. And Paul goes on to say in verse 3, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Everything's fine, they say. There's nothing to worry about. And then, boom, destruction hits them. Jesus likened it to this situation where the people of God, or not the people of God, but just the people on earth, were looking at Noah. He likens the coming of the day of the Lord like the days of Noah. He says it's going to be like all those people who were looking at Noah building this boat on dry land. 
And they're going, dude, this, this guy's crazy. What in the world is he doing? Right? I mean, like, why would you build a boat on dry land? They didn't expect a thing. They were looking for nothing. Jesus says it this way. Matthew 24, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. <laughs> they were going on as life is normal until Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now notice here in the text that one is going to be taken and the other one is going to be left behind. Now I know that we often think, oh man, I, I, I want to be the one taken. I hope that I'm not left behind. I want to be taken. But when you look at the text here, if you understand this passage in context here, it's actually the exact opposite. You should want to be like Noah and not like the others who were unexpectedly drowned, right? It was the wicked world who was swept away, who was taken away by the flood, and it was Noah who was left behind to live and to repopulate the earth. Now, we get the same teaching in, in Luke 17, but we get a little more clarity on this, all right? Check this out. Jesus, in that same text, in Luke 17, is talking about the same thing. He's comparing the day of the Lord to the days of Noah, and here's what he says toward the end of this, verse 34, Luke 17, 34, reading down through that. He says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they, that's the disciples, said to him, that's Jesus, where, Lord? In other words, what they're saying is, where are the ones who are taken Taken to, and here's his answer, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, guys, the ones who are taken are taken to death and destruction. And so, beloved, according to the full teaching of the Bible, you want to be the one left behind because those are the ones that will live in the fullness with Jesus Christ on the earth. The others are taken to destruction. And here's the deal. Like we said, it's going to happen unexpectedly. Finally, the day, that day, the day of the Lord, will be inescapable. It's going to be devastating. It's going to be unexpected. And then it's going to also be inescapable. Look at verse 3 again. While people are saying there, are, there is peace and security... Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul compares the day of the Lord to a woman 
who suddenly has labor pains come upon her, and you ladies have had children, you, you get this metaphor better than anybody else in the world, right? That's the Bible, uh, that, that's a comparison that the Bible uses over and over again to communicate that something cannot be stopped. You see, once a woman goes into labor and her water breaks, there's no stopping that baby from being born. He's coming out one way or the other, okay? Uh, I can still remember the day that that Christy gave birth to Elizabeth, our our third child. And because of some complications in Zach's birth and Eli's birth with some of the uh, medications, she decided to forego the epidural, all right, which dulls the pain of childbirth. And everything was going fine until Elizabeth said, it's time to come. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, whoa, oh, hey, nurse, can I get that epidural? And the nurse is like, no, sweetheart, I am so sorry. We don't have time for that now. The baby is coming. It couldn't be paused. It couldn't be paused. Can't we just hit the pause button and have this procedure real quickly? No, no, it cannot be paused. It was inescapable at that point. And I'll tell you the truth, a few minutes later, We laid our eyes on the prettiest little baby girl that you've ever seen. But you need to understand, guys, in the same way, once Jesus Christ starts to come, there is no pause button. right? You can't pause it. He's coming again to earth. And on on that day, all the wrath of the day of the Lord against the wicked is coming with him. It's inescapable at that point. It's unexpected and it's going to be devastating. But here's the good news. There is a way for you to stand on that day. The only way that you're going to survive that day is that if you will turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I beg you, seriously, I I beg you. If you said a moment ago, I have never trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I beg you, do so before it's everlastingly too late. You, You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. You don't have to wait till the end of the teaching here. Right there where you are, in your heart and in your mind right now, begin to talk to God and tell God that you know that you're a sinner and that you hate your sin. And tell him that you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior who lived, died, and rose again to save you. And tell him right there where you are, right now in your heart and mind, tell him that you desire more than anything in the world, for Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. You're ready to put your trust in Him. You're ready to put your faith in Him. You're ready to give your life to Him. And if you'll do that, you will be saved right now. Right now. And forevermore. And if you'll do that, the day of the Lord will not be a terrible day. It'll be the greatest day in history. But if you'll not do that, again, listen, if you don't do that, The day of the Lord will indeed be a terrible day. So I I, I beg you, turn from sin and trust in Jesus before it's everlastingly too late. That's the first response here that our text calls us to. All right? So, again, if you've not done that yet, then you can't go to number two. But if you have done that, if you have turned from sin and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can check that box. And you can go now to number two. Here's the second thing that is for people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says for you and me. How should we live in light of the soon coming day of the Lord? Well, you and I should live every day with Christ, looking for Christ, right? You're looking for him. Paul says right here, verse 10, 
Talking about Jesus, he, he describes Jesus as the one who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now remember last week, to be asleep was a metaphor, a euphemism for having died, all right? So he's saying here, if you're dead, you're going to live with him. And then to be awake here means to be alive. That's what that means here, to be awake or to asleep. Basically, he says, whether you live or whether you die. Doesn't that sound like Paul in Philippians 1.21? He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, to live is to live with Christ. And if we die, guess what? <laughs> we get to live with Christ. So whether we're awake or whether we're asleep, we get to live with him. Y'all, that's the kind of Christ-centered life that you and I are being called to here, right? We are with Christ, but we're not just with Christ. We're also looking for Christ because right now, although you and I are with Christ, we are with him spiritually right now. But there's coming a day on this day of the Lord when Jesus comes again that we will not simply be with him spiritually, but he is coming bodily. He is coming physically. And you and I will be physically with him. We're looking for him so that we can be physically with him. And it's going to be the greatest day in history, right, for those of us who are in Christ. And so we live every day with Christ, looking for Christ. And here in our text, Paul gives us some specifics of what that kind of life looks like. What does it look like to live with Christ, looking for Christ? The Bible here says that that kind of life is characterized by four things. By wakefulness, by sober-mindedness, by hopefulness, and by devotedness. Let's think about here for a moment wakefulness, not wokefulness, wakefulness, all right? Now, while the day of the Lord, guys, it's going to catch unbelievers off guard, right? They're, they're not expecting it. They're going to be unaware. Paul says to you and me, this is not going to surprise you. Why? Because you're looking for it. Look at verse 4 through 6. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. There's a wakefulness, right? While the world is surprised when Jesus comes, you and I, <laughs> we won't be because we're watching for him. We're waiting for him. We're longing for him. We're on alert, looking for him like the watchman on the wall. And a good watchman, what does he do? He doesn't go to sleep. He stays awake. He's vigilant. He's alert. He's scanning the horizon looking for movement. And when something comes, when movement happens, he's ready. And that's what you and I are to be. We're to be ready. We're to be watchful. There should be a wakefulness to our life. But there's also, according to the Bible here, should be a sober-mindedness. A sober-mindedness. Look at verse 6 through 8. Paul says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us Keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Sober 
mindedness. That means that you and I should be clear-headed, that we should be serious, that we don't get caught up in all the flippancy and the silliness of this present age. So many of the things, guys, that the world chases after, glitters and twinkles and sparkles, we know that is not the fullness of what God has for us. That thing is here today, and it's gone tomorrow, right? There are a thousand things that can dull our senses to the spiritual seriousness of this age. And alcohol here, it's just one example. It's emblematic of all the different ways that you and I dull our senses to the Lord. But we're to be clear-headed. We're to be sober-minded. We are to be sensitive to the signs and to the times so that we might not be caught unaware. Scholar William Hendrickson, he notes it this way. He says, the sober person lives deeply. His pleasures are not primarily those of the senses like the pleasures of the drunkard, for instance, but those of the soul. He is by no means a stoic. On the contrary, with a full measure of the joyful anticipation, he looks forward to the return of the Lord. We're to be sober-minded third. We are to live in hopefulness. Hopefulness. Look at verse 8 and 9. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that hope. And it's not a flimsy hope. It's not a maybe hope. It's a hope that is sure, strong, steadfast, and without a doubt. That's the kind of hope that we have. right? God has declared that he has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. And here's the deal. We're already signed and sealed. You know what I'm talking about? You and I are already signed and sealed. We're just waiting for Jesus to deliver, right? It's like, come on, Jesus, bring the mail. Come on. We're just waiting for Jesus to deliver. Finally, our lives are to be characterized by a devotedness. Again, verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, but also talking about us. Jesus, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That means that our lives are to be completely devoted to Jesus Christ. This relationship, this religion, this, this faith that you live out is not a halfway relationship. It's not an on-again, off-again thing. It's not a compartmentalized where I divide up my life and I follow Jesus over here, but not over here. He wants the fullness of your life. He expects a devotedness because guess what? He's devoted to you. And we should be devoted back. He is the Lord of our lives. And what he says do, we do. And where he says go, we go. And what he says to believe, we believe. And what he says to say, we say. You see, we are to have no other master than the master himself. We are to be completely devoted to him. These are the marks. Devotedness, hopefulness, sober-mindedness, and wakefulness. These are the marks of a life that's living with Jesus, looking for Jesus. So, beloved, the day of the Lord is coming soon.
But the question we all have is when? But when? One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000, five 1,000. I, I don't know how many 1,000s there are going to be until the day that he comes, but here's what we can say. On that day, he's going to say, Ready or not, here I come. Here's my final prayer as the praise team comes. May we all be ready on that great and glorious day. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.